Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We know that you want to live an inspired and fulfilling life. Maybe there are a few things that you need to get you there. Welcome to What Matters with your host, Mary Beth Lodge. In today's world of distractions, we can get overwhelmed with day-to-day responsibilities that keep us busy, frustrated, and confused. With an emphasis on the power of the mind and drawing on the fields of personal health, education, neuroscience, business, and spirituality, we'll discuss practical strategies to help you stay focused on your priorities, choices, and results. Now, here is Mary Beth Lodge. Good morning, and thank you for joining me today on What Matters. How are you today? Today, I'm going to challenge you to make a difference. I'm going to ask you to find the motivation to make a change within yourself, a change that will carry ripples of positive change into the lives of those around you and well beyond. So for this one hour... I'm asking you to spend this time listening and thinking about how this information presented here today applies to you. That's right, just you, not your significant other, your best friend, your child, your parent, or your coworker. Just you. You are the only person that you can really change. And you are the only person that you are responsible for. You are the person that can truly make a difference. Yeah, I know, you're busy. I'm busy, too. We're all very busy because we lead very busy lives, don't we? And sometimes it feels so good to be busy. And sometimes that busy just means we're distracted. That's right. It means we're distracted away from our goals and away from the focus of the things that we find most important in our lives. So let me ask you, are you taking for granted the people in your life and the actions that you take that are the most important to you? Are you spending your energy on things that don't really matter? What are the choices that you make in your world? And how do you touch the lives of the people you meet? Even the people that you cross the street from. You know, the people in the grocery store. The people that you pass in the hallway at work. How do you touch their lives? Do you create sunshine wherever you are? And are you a beam of light to the people whose lives you touch? Well, let's start this morning by making our own sunshine. What are you grateful for today? Let's look around your world and see the many blessings that enfold you. You know, I am just so enjoying the fall weather. It's a little cool. I kind of like it that way. And the leaves are turning here in the part of the country that I'm at. In fact, they're falling quickly because we had so little rain. 
that the colors are beautiful, sort of muted, but still the brilliant reds and oranges and yellows of fall. And I love that change of season. I love remembering that we always have seasons in our lives, in our world. And I'm grateful for the freedom that I have, that my body moves, that I can run, jump, and play as I choose to. I am grateful for the fact that I have awesome practitioners that I collaborate with for my own health and for the health of the clients we serve. And I had that opportunity today to collaborate with another really powerful practitioner who just has such a sense of presence and groundedness and her love and concern for the people that she works with just is almost all-consuming. And I am so grateful that she is a part of my personal and professional world. And this morning, we're going to be talking about the stress that comes when we give care to others. And I think that's important for us to have this conversation about the stress that happens when we care for others, whether it's part of our work, part of our world, or something that happened because of some something occurring in our families. Our guest this morning is Becky Hawkins. Now, Becky is a natural storyteller and a great listener. And she brought those gifts with her as she sat by the bedside of seriously ill or terminally ill patients for more than 30 years as an oncology and hospice nurse. And it is her compassion and warmth that encouraged so many of her charges to share their heartfelt thoughts and experiences with her. Becky began her career as a nurse's aide at age 19, and that exposure to the nursing profession inspired her to get a degree in nursing. And although it was unusual for someone so young, she chose to start her career in the oncology unit in a large city hospital, and she progressed to outpatient oncology, hospice, and eventually became a hospice chaplain. Upon her retirement in the 1990s, she began to volunteer her services and expertise with hospice patients, and she was also instrumental in the transition and care of various family members. To cope with the emotional impact of working with terminally ill patients, Becky began to write about what she was hearing, witnessing, and feeling with her patients, their families, their co- her co-workers, and visitors. And from there, she started writing a column in a local newspaper entitled Beyond Statistics. That started in 1986, and it's now syndicated in six pages regionally. And a selection of columns was assembled into her first book, titled Transitions, A Nurse's Education About Life and Death. Good morning, Becky. How are you today? Good morning. I'm doing great. I'm like you. We're just getting this first burst of fall weather here in northeast Oklahoma, and um, it's a a little cool, but uh, we welcome it. It was a very hot summer. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, it was hot here, too. I think we had your temperatures, and we're not supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> so we're really enjoying this cooling down. <laughs> yes. So, Becky, um, I want to talk about caregiver stress today, and I know that you have witnessed a lot of that through your years, both as an oncology nurse and also as a as a hospice chap- chaplain. Um, so let's kind of talk about the, the stressors that begin to lay themselves onto someone who is a caregiver. 
We do see a lot of that. Um, there are usually with every patient uh, that I've cared for some um, main characters in the family members that do most of the bedside care mm-hmm. and visiting. And, and that doesn't mean that the rest of the family um, members are um, not as loving or caring about um, their family member, but some people just seem to be better at the bedside. Mm-hmm. But the stress really uh, falls upon their shoulders even more because of that constant care. Uh, sometimes they find it hard to uh, tear themselves away from being at the bedside. They're afraid to leave, afraid they'll miss something, afraid that their loved one will not be cared for as well if they're not there. So there's an education that we try to share with these people um, and try to assist them also in finding other ways, other avenues, so that they are not there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, trying to be that person, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just taking on the full burden. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's hard um, because there's a, I would imagine for a caregiver, there's a lot of fear, you know, fear yes. that, that yes. something won't go right. And then the, the guilt would be there of if I were there, maybe that wouldn't have happened. Yes, exactly. That, that does come up all the time, uh, whether it is a, a spouse or a sibling or a child um, or even a good friend. Uh, thinking that um, perhaps they have to be sure that they're there so that that doesn't happen because that fear is in their mind. What if I leave and they die? Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe I'll miss their last words. And so we try to help people work through these different fears that are at the bedside and um, and those that are standing around in support of them as well. There are so many different thoughts that are going through their mind in addition to just trying to physically have the strength, you know, to to care for the person. And then Mm -hmm. also there's the concerns about um, whether or not their parent or loved one um, is comfortable with their spirituality at this point. And then they have those concerns. Do I bring in uh, someone from my church? Do I bring in someone from, um, you know, like a hospice chaplain? Who do I bring in? And so there's um, emotions that are involved with that aspect of it. And then how do I make sure that this uh, hospice group is going to help me um, alleviate my loved one's suffering? Um, Mm -hmm. So they have all these questions in their hearts and their minds. And sometimes they don't ask those questions, do they? That's exactly right. Sometimes they're fearful of even asking the questions um, because they... um, I think they're a little bit uh, afraid of what the answers are going to be. Oh, that's interesting. Yes, because if we say to them, um, you know, you at this point need to uh, let someone else come in so you can get some rest so you can stay strong yourself, they don't want to hear that. Right. We have to work on that. Or if we say, you know, perhaps um, if you just listen to your uh, loved one for a little while, they will help clue you in on whether or not they want a clergy here. Um, You know, you might just wait a little bit and try to pay attention to uh, what they're saying to you instead of just deciding on your own to bring, you know, Mother, we're bringing the lawyer in today. We're going to go ahead and work all this out. And maybe Mother wasn't quite ready to hear that. Maybe she needed a, a day or so of being prepared before that happened. So we just try to work through all of those concerns that, uh, 
that arrive at that doorstep along with mm-hmm. uh, caregiving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've um, experienced that, uh, you know, the roles that people have in their families take mm-hmm. on almost a magnification uh, under the stress of a terminal or a chronic illness. Yes, yes, you do see that. Um, especially um, those sometimes that come from um, out of town. And yes. uh, they are seen as the out-of-towner <laughs> because mm-hmm. they come in and they want to go ahead sometimes and say, um, okay, I'm here now and I'm taking over and this is how we're going to do things because I'm the eldest and this is the way it's going to be done. So um, there's there's that concern to take care of, you know, as well and work through and try to assist in and giving ideas on how they can come together um, if, if there's a lot of... Um, you know, wounded feelings because the the dear dear patient doesn't need all of that going on around them as they're trying to just figure out, okay, how am I going to take my next breath? Mm-hmm. Um, you mm-hmm. try to guide them maybe into a different room or something and try to just be present to them, not try to take over the conversation, but listen to them, try to assist them with um, how to uh, proceed, how to mm-hmm. honor one another's feelings one another's gifts, um, and look at the whole picture. Um, it's not always a pleasant movie scene. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can imagine there are some, some real struggles that then occur. Um, I was so surprised when I first started doing that uh, at how um, often um, the question would come up before the person um, had uh, expired about, you know, well, uh, let's go ahead and talk now, Mother, about, you know, how you, how much money am I going to get? Oh, oh, yeah, that's horrible. <laughs> yes. And so <laughs> oh, it, you're, you'd just be surprised sometimes at everything that can come up at a bedside. Uh-huh. Well, Becky, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll continue with this topic of the, the stress that happens to caregivers in a a terminal or a chronic illness state. You're listening to the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you ready to make a change in your life? Would you like to discover the hidden obstacles to your success? Mary Beth Lodge is a certified life coach with a proven track record of guiding others to success. Drawing on mind-body techniques and concepts of neuroscience, Mary Beth will design a program specific to your goals, lifestyle, and personality. You'll develop a specific action plan to follow. You'll learn practical and easy strategies to move through your obstacles and reach your goals. You decide the area to focus on. Is it your weight, your health, or your professional goals? Mary Beth Lodge is a life coach, hypnotist, and health consultant. She specializes in working with people who are confused, frustrated, or discouraged by the direction of their life. She works with people who really want to make a difference in this world and are willing to take the actions to achieve their goals. She'll help you get clear on where you want to be and to follow through on the actions that lead to a healthier and more successful life. Visit LastingLifestyleChange.com to request more information or a free consultation. I just got AT&T, the nation's largest 4G network, and let me tell you, it's crazy fast. 
like living in the future fast. My roommates can't keep up. Ooh, Jenny, did you hear that Barbara has an extra ticket to the concert? Lisa, that's so 42 seconds ago. I already downloaded it from the link she sent me. Oh, great. Lisa will forget about that ticket soon. See, about 52 seconds ago, her boyfriend changed his relationship status to single. She doesn't know that yet, but she will in three, two, one. AT&T, rethink possible. Get it fast with AT&T, the nation's largest 4G network. Introducing the new Samsung Galaxy Note. It's a phone, it's a tablet, it's both, and it's only from AT&T. Limited 4G LTE availability in select markets. Learn more at att.com/network. New 2-year voice agreement with qualifying monthly data plan required. Other charges and restrictions apply. For more details, visit att.com/note. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to What Matters with Mary Beth Lodge. To be a part of our discussion on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to marybethlodge at gmail.com. Now, back to What Matters. Thank you for joining me this morning on What Matters. Our guest is Becky Hawkins, and we're talking about caregiver stress, the kind of stress that occurs when a family or or anyone um, is caring for someone with a terminal illness or a chronic illness, um, and just the the kinds of layers of things that become uh, burdens or challenges. And Becky, we were we were talking before about you know kind of the fears of the caregiver that they can't leave, that they can't um, they they can't turn it over, and really they become very fatigued. Yes. I remember an article um, many years ago that talked about compassion fatigue, which was really about you know, people like you and I that were professionals in the field and kind of got secondary trauma from listening to stories. But we're, you know, we're also talking about just the fatigue of individuals who are caregivers that are at the, at the side of someone who's terminal and wearing down themselves. Yes. We try to encourage uh, them to, uh, Please honor their bodies and their uh, spirits, their emotional status, and uh, understanding that it's very healthy for them and good for their loved one as well for them to get outside and take a walk or if a good friend or another family member offers to sit at the bedside while they run to the post office, go to the grocery store or something because just that brief amount of time of some fresh air and a different scenery and give a burst of energy and perhaps uh, new thoughts um, of how they're going to continue sitting at the bedside. Um, We also have people that are very fatigued from an angry patient, you know, a patient Mm -hmm. that is very angry about life in general, and this anger is carrying over into their death as well. And Mm -hmm. so when you are trying to care for someone that you love dearly, that is continually um, 
abusing you with their uh, their words or their actions or their behavior, you know, their behavior, the whole thing. That makes it even harder to stand at the bedside. And that's not all that uncommon. Exactly. It, like I said, it's not always um, the storybook death scene that you would hope for, that everybody, you know, gets to have the beautiful pre-death visions and there's beautiful music and there's all kinds of wonderful things going on. I'm very happy for those that do get that. But there are the everyday people like me um, who will experience uh, sometimes some negative emotions going on um, at the bedside, you know, as I was caring for my brother, I wrote some of that in my book. Sometimes I, you know, I loved him dearly, and there were days when I wanted to strangle him. <laughs> and and so I had to process that and work through that and learn to step away. Step away mm-hmm. from that bedside some and get outside or pick up something. Take 30 minutes to watch a funny sitcom. You know, just totally remove yourself a little bit. Um, and then you also have to be aware of being um, picking up something that would be not beneficial. You know, perhaps, you know, we've had people that we've visited with and they said, you know, I'm going to go in here and I've got some scotch and I'll be right back. <laughs> you know, they're just looking for some kind of relief from the pain and the agony of uh, maybe a difficult uh, parent or um, a difficult a situation, and so you mm-hmm. want to try to offer them um, comfort in other areas, so they're not dependent upon drugs and alcohol to um, alleviate their symptoms of stress at being at the bedside. Mm-hmm. And you know what I said before about the the roles and the personalities of the family just kind of get magnified in that that compression of time especially in what would be the last days or perhaps last weeks where the dynamics of the family don't necessarily improve. That, you know, just the the dynamics, however the family interacted before, they're not going to suddenly get healthy if they weren't. And they're not going to suddenly learn how to communicate if communication was an issue before. Yes, and we'll see that sometimes too where, where some um, well-meaning um, motherly um, sibling will try to force another sibling to be at the bedside to say some meaningful last words. And like you said, perhaps those two have not visited very much their entire lives. Mm-hmm. And so when you try to force that, it really doesn't work well. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to let people be where they are as they are. Give people permission mm-hmm. to continue to be who they are. If they want to change that that last minute, that's their deal. Mm-hmm. But to try to force either the patient in the bed or uh, somebody coming in uh, to behave in a different manner than they ever had before is very tricky. And sometimes it doesn't. The outcome isn't good. So you need to uh, be careful about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I'm just thinking back through my own experiences with both my own family and with other families that I've supported um, during that time of transition one of the things that um, uh, that always struck me was was really having to honor that people are where they are. Yeah. You know, I mean, watching family members who just could not face the death 
yes. and letting that be okay. That, yes, that's so good. That's so good for you to mention that because we really do need to do that. We we we'll have a group of uh, siblings sometimes that will. Uh, one of them is uh, predominantly a, a caregiver and mm-hmm. has been their whole life, and another one would be very very good at um, staying in the kitchen and cooking the meals for the family. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. is more comfortable in the kitchen. And then another one who stays outside, maybe working on a car, mowing the lawn, uh, cleaning some windows, and they'll poke their head in every now and then to check, but they stay out there. And then maybe an, even another child who will stay home and just call to check in. Mm-hmm. What I would find sometimes is how these siblings would say, why, why can't we force our brother to come? He knows that mother needs him here. And I said, you know, your mother has probably known this is his comfort zone, and this is where he's most happy. And she knows that he loves her, and and he knows that she loves him. And you need to honor him, because not one child is better than another, no matter where they're standing. Right, right. Everybody, like you said, accept them where they are as they are, and don't try to judge them. Or lay a guilt trip on them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, I, you know, I think if they're the opportunity for a peaceful transition is so contingent on everyone being accepting. Yes. Yes. And that you know? blesses that dear soul that's in the bed. Yes. Yes. And so. Let's talk a little bit. We have just a couple more minutes in this segment, but I want to talk a little bit about the kind of the maze of questions that begin to come up, um, even before, maybe before the illness is at the point of, of this is the dying process, but just the, the questions of what does, what do you want? You know, what are, uh-huh. what are your wishes for this time? Uh-huh. And that's very, that's very good because I've witnessed everything. With uh, usually when I show up, they've been told that there's not a whole lot of time left. But even with some just seriously ill patients that I was taking care of, in addition to the hospice patients, um, some families just really struggle with that. They want to, you know, they'll take me outside and say, "How am I going to ask my mother uh, whether or not she wants uh, to be resuscitated? Uh, how do I ask?" And so that's where it's really good for us bringing in the paperwork. Uh, as we first admit a patient about uh, a living will, mm-hmm. and to start open the com- opening that conversation with these family members, let's talk about some of your wishes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, I, I like it. Um, you know, I've seen the documents both ways. In in my state, we don't um, we recognize the durable power of attorney for health care, but we. The living will is sort of a, a nice thing to have, but it's not a legal thing. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. um, but but I like the one that that is structured with wishes. Yeah. What are your What are your wishes for this? What are your yeah. wishes for this? And I I think that's such a gentle way of asking. Yes, it's a much gentler way of asking, and they don't. I think a lot of times. Uh, some of them will feel threatened by that if this is especially if it's a sudden thing and all of a sudden they're being uh, asked these questions. I think what we need to do, Mary Beth, is try to understand that we as a society need to be asking these questions all along. Mm-hmm. Let's not wait till there's a crisis. Let's know ahead of time. You know, I was watching a movie the other day. What do you think, Dad? About 
when your time comes. Would you like to be cremated, or would you like to uh, have a service at your church, or what kind of service would you be interested in? Or do you want to have a tube feeding if you can't eat anymore? You know, just things. And if they, if he says, you know, I'm not talking about that. Well, <laughs> you know, you may just honor that and understand that you'll maybe need to make those decisions at the time. But at least give it an opportunity. And we need to quit trying to shield so many people from these questions. We should stop saying that's morbid. We don't want to talk about that. Actually, mm-hmm. it's not that it's morbid. It's important information that we all need to know for one another. Absolutely. Now, Sometimes it doesn't happen, but that doesn't mean that we can't move forward in a way that can work for everybody. Right. You know, again, I know for myself that in my family, you know, with with both of my parents, um, you know, long before my father was ever ill enough for us to be thinking about him dying – I was well aware of what his wishes were. He was very clear about that. And, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was a easy announcement for him. <laughs> That's know. good. Good for him. Uh, yeah. Um, and, you know, and there was never any question. And, and that, of course, raised the raised the questions then for my mother to be able to say it. So, again, Becky, we're, we've got to take a short break here. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation on caregiver stress. You're listening to the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you ready to make a change in your life? Would you like to discover the hidden obstacles to your success? Mary Beth Lodge is a certified life coach with a proven track record of guiding others to success. Drawing on mind-body techniques and concepts of neuroscience, Mary Beth will design a program specific to your goals, lifestyle, and personality. You'll develop a specific action plan to follow. You'll learn practical and easy strategies to move through your obstacles and reach your goals. You decide the area to focus on. Is it your weight, your health, or your professional goals? Mary Beth Lodge is a life coach, hypnotist, and health consultant. She specializes in working with people who are confused, frustrated, or discouraged by the direction of their life. She works with people who really want to make a difference in this world and are willing to take the actions to achieve their goals. She'll help you get clear on where you want to be and to follow through on the actions that lead to a healthier and more successful life. Visit LastingLifestyleChange.com to request more information or a free consultation. I just got AT&T, the nation's largest 4G network, and let me tell you, it's crazy fast. Like living in the future fast. My roommates can't keep up. Ooh, Jenny, did you hear? That Barbara has an extra ticket to the concert? Lisa, that's so 42 seconds ago. I already downloaded it from the link she sent me. Oh, great. Lisa will forget about that ticket soon. See, about 52 seconds ago, her boyfriend changed his relationship status to single. She doesn't know that yet, but she will in three, two, one. AT&T. Rethink possible. Get it fast with AT&T, the nation's largest 4G network. Introducing the new Samsung Galaxy Note. It's a phone, it's a tablet, it's both, and it's only from AT&T. Limited 4G LTE availability in select markets. Learn more at att.com slash network. New two-year voice agreement with qualifying monthly data plan required. Other charges and restrictions apply. For more details, visit att.com slash note. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! 
If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to What Matters with Mary Beth Lodge. To be a part of our discussion on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to marybethlodge at gmail.com. Now back to What Matters. Thank you for joining me this morning on What Matters. Our guest is Becky Hawkins, and our topic is caregiver stress. And we've been talking about just kind of the challenges that face caregivers in both a chronic illness and um, a terminal illness as the, as the family attempts to support their loved one in the dying process. There's also so many challenges that come up and so many questions that have to be answered. And Becky, we were talking right before the break about, you know, the, the questions and conversations that should happen long before there's ever, um, a crisis. And yes. what else should people think about and not only the living will conversation but uh, you know there are subtleties here beyond what we can put on paper um what can you tell us about that of the kind of the philosophies or the how to answer the questions that we didn't think of (laughs) well the patients have taught me so much with that over the years you know they they amaze me um i had one lady that um when i went in to visit with her she just had everybody sitting down there, and she was um, just telling them exactly what she wanted and she, uh, for her service, for her she, what clothes that she had already picked out to wear, and that uh, this is how, what song she wanted played, and and I've got all the paperwork ready in the um, safety deposit box, and uh, I just want you to know that um, there's a lady that's willing to take kitty cat and. Um, You know, I was just going, oh, my gosh, if everybody could walk into this. But she knew and she believed uh, that it would make it easier for her family if she had everything done ahead of time that she could get done. Mm -hmm. I have Mm -hmm. also walked into a situation where um, a loved one will not discuss anything. We had Mm -hmm. a gentleman that refused. He let me visit with him that first day that he was admitted into our hospice program about um, the paperwork and everything. And then he said, now, this is the last time I'm going to discuss this. He said, I'll let you come in and check me over physically, but if you need to talk to anyone, you talk to my wife because I don't want to talk about this anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, I honored that. I said, mm-hmm. I, I respect your wishes, and if you change your mind, you let me know. But he and his wife, uh, I mean, his wife and I had to stay in the kitchen and tried to discuss what she was concerned about. And it was very hard for her. She didn't know what to do with um, some of the paperwork um, that was at the bank and some of the paperwork that was in their safety deposit box and some of the things that she needed to know about some land and uh, some cattle. Um, So she was very disappointed that he wouldn't talk to her. Now, she was able, after he passed, to work that out. Her children helped her, and she got through it okay. But the differences between those two families was huge in that how 
this wife, each time she approached the bed, knew that she had to be very careful about what she said. But she, too, honored his wishes mm-hmm. and respected where he was as he was. But it mm-hmm. was difficult for her. And so sure. I just would love to be able to encourage people to just think about ahead of time if they would wanted to write. If they just wanted to write it down instead of talking about it. And then just made sure everybody had a copy of, of your wishes for what you wanted um, in case you died suddenly. You know, sometimes people, you know, do die in car wrecks and accidents. And um, you might want to have something already uh, lined out for your family just in case something like that happened. Mm-hmm. And then renew it every so many years. Look at it mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I know for myself, again, in my own family, you know, um, my mother was 83 when my father died, and three years later, she walked me through the house, and she did exactly what you were talking about. She showed me where all the papers were. She showed me the dress she wanted to be laid out in. I mean, <laughs> yes. we just went, we went through the whole thing, and I, I mean, she was healthy. She was active. I, you know, I couldn't figure out why she was doing that. <laughs> and it, it wasn't until, uh, you know, it was several months later when I figured out that my father had died at 86, and her father had died at 86, and none of her siblings had survived past the age of 80, so she probably, you know, she just decided that her clock was probably ticking down. Um, my mother is now 96, and she's still active and healthy. And <laughs> oh, good. Bless her. Bless her heart. But, you know, I mean, that was just, she She was making sure that I was aware of, you know, all the things that would need to be attended to. Um, oh, yes. And I think sometimes us as caregivers um, in the profession um, have it all figured out in our heads, too, you know. And, and I'm, uh-huh. my family knows everything I... <laughs> Because I talk to them about it all the time, and they're going, okay, give it a rest, Nana. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've had enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm thinking about, um, you know, you you had the, the blessing of being part of hospice, where the understanding is we're helping this one transition. We're, we're being present for the family, for the patient, um, you know, and, and we bring this loving care I've also had the experience, and I know many caregivers do, where if you're in a, a more acute uh, care situation, mm-hmm. some, sometimes the questions that are raised aren't as simple to answer. Um, right. You know, do we, do we put in this, um, this special IV line so that we can give um, extra nutrition? Do we give blood because we just had surgery, but there's a DNR and do we, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, DNR, do not resuscitate. Um, you know, there's, there's these subtleties based on the, the setting. Um, yeah. because, you know, the, the medical world is designed for, we're going to keep you alive no matter what mm-hmm. <laughs> until you tell us to stop and then we'll, we'll just walk out. Um, <laughs> And I think so, that's something that definitely needs to be readdressed too, is that we so that we can start telling our physicians, um, okay, this is what we want done, and then um, we're done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, so, and being able to, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I guess I would just, I think you were going to answer that question, but I was going to say, so how would you suggest to a family member that that they? Um, that they work within that system, that, that they communicate the wishes, because it, it's a hard place to be. Yes, um, it is. I think there needs to be a whole new job that's like an advocate that yes. uh, is, goes between the family uh, and the 
nursing personnel and the, the medical personnel, everybody that's involved with the patient. Because I think we need to um, be able to have a conversation. These uh, people need to be present to us and hear us in what we're saying instead of rushing ahead. You know, definitely if someone is um, received on a helicopter in the throes of having a massive heart attack, they're going to take over and do what they can do to save that person unless someone has stepped in ahead of time and said, you know, they did not want to be resuscitated. Mm-hmm. So. When you're at that difficult point there in the ICU or a nursing home or wherever, make sure that you have someone in your family or a friend that uh, can join you in that conversation and help you ask the questions, help you find the answers, help you to shift and sift through the menagerie of all that's going on because it's so overwhelming for someone that does not walk those halls on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And that's the, I guess that's the part that I really want to communicate is just because you aren't of that world, just because you aren't a nurse, just because you aren't in the medical world doesn't mean that you have to be intimidated by that. You're still yes. important. Yes, that's very important. They're not gods. They're people just like us. And I'm very thankful to God for the doctors and the nurses and the technicians and everything that's uh, going on around you. But it, it does not mean that they can leave us out of the uh, conversation. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. need to be involved in what's going on, and uh, we need to be educated about what's going on. It doesn't hurt to ask questions. You need mm-hmm. to know. Knowledge is power. And then you also need to communicate your wishes and your, your uh, patient's wishes. Mm-hmm. If this is your husband, you need to let them know, this is what he has told me. This is what we will do. This is what we will not do. Now talk to me. Please help me understand what you're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, that I've caught in those kinds of settings, and it's only because I do have the knowledge and I, I speak the language, you know, yeah. <laughs> and I... And I think that's important that, again, as you said, there needs to be an advocate. There needs to be somebody who does understand kind Uh of the medical language that's going on. Uh But, you know, one of the things I've caught many times is that something can be presented as so beneficial. Uh You know, whether it's a, a transfer to a nursing care facility instead of sending the patient home or it's a you know, a, a special kind of IV line so that we can give extra whatever. You know, it can be presented in such a, a benign way mm-hmm. without any discussion of what mm-hmm. the consequence of that is. That once we start that, we can't stop it. <laughs> right, right. And that's why um, so much I think of that happens sometimes with the patients that maybe don't have someone at the bedside with them. The patients that have uh, people who are so intimidated by the world that they're in, they don't even know what to ask or why to ask it. Um, So I think there needs to be uh, a huge um, change in the way that we're delivering care and uh, the way that we're treating um, the patients and their families. We need to really and truly honor education process as far as as what their needs are, what we can do for them, and whether or not we need to um, 
proceed without um, approval um, if we think it's uh, life, something life-threatening is going on and we haven't been told not to do anything. There's just so many issues that need to be addressed and looked at. I think um, our country uh, is due. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Becky, we have to take one more break here, and when we come back, we'll wrap up this conversation about caregiver stress. You're listening to the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Are you ready to make a change in your life? Would you like to discover the hidden obstacles to your success? Mary Beth Lodge is a certified life coach with a proven track record of guiding others to success. Drawing on mind-body techniques and concepts of neuroscience, Mary Beth will design a program specific to your goals, lifestyle, and personality. You'll develop a specific action plan to follow. You'll learn practical and easy strategies to move through your obstacles and reach your goals. You decide the area to focus on. Is it your weight, your health, or your professional goals? Mary Beth Lodge is a life coach, hypnotist, and health consultant. She specializes in working with people who are confused, frustrated, or discouraged by the direction of their life. She works with people who really want to make a difference in this world and are willing to take the actions to achieve their goals. She'll help you get clear on where you want to be and to follow through on the actions that lead to a healthier and more successful life. Visit LastingLifestyleChange.com to request more information or a free consultation. I just got AT&T, the nation's largest 4G network, and let me tell you, it's crazy fast. Like living in the future fast. My roommates can't keep up. Ooh, Jenny, did you hear? That Barbara has an extra ticket to the concert? Lisa, that's so 42 seconds ago. I already downloaded it from the link she sent me. Oh, great. Lisa will forget about that ticket soon. See, about 52 seconds ago, her boyfriend changed his relationship status to single. She doesn't know that yet, but she will in three, two, one. AT&T. Rethink possible. Get it fast with AT&T, the nation's largest 4G network. Introducing the new Samsung Galaxy Note. It's a phone, it's a tablet, it's both, and it's only from AT&T. Limited 4G LTE availability in select markets. Learn more at att.com slash network. New two-year voice agreement with qualifying monthly data plan required. Other charges and restrictions apply. For more details, visit att.com slash note. Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. You are listening to What Matters with Mary Beth Lodge. To be a part of our discussion on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to marybethlodge at gmail.com. Now back to What Matters. Good morning. Thank you for joining me this morning on What Matters. Our guest has been Becky Hawkins, and we've been talking about caregiver stress and the kinds of challenges and questions that arise when you're caring for a loved one um, who is terminally ill or has a chronic illness that requires a, a lot of intervention in, or, or oversight. And Becky, uh, you know, we've traveled some great distance here today and, and talked about kind of the 
the many steps in the maze of being a caregiver. But one of the things that strikes me is what often happens is that the caregiver gets isolated because there, there's so much intensity during the, the time of terminal illness, whether that's, you know, regardless of how long that takes, if it's months or even just a few weeks, there's an isolation that happens for the caregiver. Yeah. How would you, how would you see them finding support? I mean, where would they look or who would they call on? Okay, hopefully, if they have a hospice program, that's a big part of hospice, is trying to find, um, keep that support in there for that family as they need it. Because um, a lot of families don't have extended families that are able to help them. Um, some uh, families that I've taken care of um, may be in their 90s, are the patients and the, and the spouse. And uh, most of their friends have passed on. Uh, mm-hmm. And they're... Um, Children are all in, in bad health and can't help as well. So when you bring in a hospice team and you have a social worker and you have a volunteer and you have a chaplain, you have a good uh, team of people that can assess your needs and help you uh, work through how much help that you do need there in the home with you so that you can have a break. And you need to use that. I tell people to please take advantage of these great opportunities to get some help so that you don't take it on all by yourself. And then also, it always it's always, if you belong to a church, it's a good idea to get that word out there to the congregation, um, the fellowship of people that you meet with, or, you know, if you're in a, a civic group, uh, some kind of business groups, where you let people know. Often there are so many people that surround you that do want to help, and they are waiting for that call to know um, if they could bring over some food for you or if they can sit at the bedside while you run an errand. So um, a neighbor, perhaps, is just waiting uh, for you to let them know. Sometimes people are so afraid of upsetting or disturbing a family that they hold back and wait for someone um, to, to help them. I also encourage families to, if they have several family members, to let one person kind of be over um, Getting that news out. Mm-hmm. You know, one lady in the group may be uh, very good at emailing um, co-workers, emailing uh, friends, uh, e- neighbors, um, people that they've known perhaps um, in, a, in a group of some sort, and to just get the word out and then organize it. You know, this lady's coming on this day for this, and this woman is taking the ironing and she's doing this. This person mm-hmm. over here is going to be taking care of the yard. And so that you work together to make it um, a community effort, a family effort to help someone through this. This is the dream of um, a, a really good hospice team is bringing people together because not only are you blessing that person at the bedside, each one of those people are going to be blessed because of gifts that they are bringing to these loved ones. It's valuable to us to care for one another in our lifetimes. Uh, Mm -hmm. Whether you have training to be at the bedside or not, there's still so many other things that need to be done and can be done. And it's good for us to involve our teenagers as well to help them understand what we can do for those who are ill, chronically ill, seriously ill, or terminally ill, for for them to be exposed to that. We shouldn't hide our children from this part of life because it is a part of life. So and I, I think we, 
Absolutely. We have to teach our children not to be afraid of this. Yes, yes. That this, this is just natural. This is a part of the life process. Yes. Hmm. I saw on uh, YouTube uh, just yesterday a young man that's dying with glioblastoma, and he's made a beautiful thing on YouTube with his wife, and they both have an awesome understanding that he has just uh, supposedly just a couple of months left to live. So they're filming everything, and they're having community group talks with people. Um, and he's trying to share with them how he believes it's just this transition that's going to happen, and he's not afraid to die. And um, you know, they come together and they share stories, share food, and these two two small children of theirs are being involved in this whole process of this community coming together to be with this couple. It's it's a beautiful story. Mm, it sounds wonderful, and and what a blessing that yes. you know, and it what really it gives does to the world. We need to understand that, that, that we are here to be here for one another. We're not here to be isolated. We should not be isolated. Sometimes we choose that ourselves, and I respect people that want, want it that way. I, don't, I never force myself on anybody, but we need to at least offer. Mm-hmm. You know, I've worked with families who were, um, the patient was resistant to hospice mm-hmm. um, with the misunderstanding of, of the purpose of hospice that, you know, so the family needing the support and the patient saying, no, not yet. I'm not ready for them yet. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, you know, and it, uh, that resistance, although necessary for the patient, oh, so unnecessary for the family. You know, they, they really needed the support. And that would, would be what I would hope someone could even, you know, maybe the patient's doctor, maybe the patient's nurse, somebody could get in there and just try to help them understand that for the blessing of your own caregivers here at home, for the help uh, that would come to them, would you please reconsider? And we will honor your wishes, but your family is so weary, so weary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let us help them. Mm-hmm. Well, Becky, I want to thank you for being on the show this morning. You have just brought an incredible wealth of information, as as I knew you would. Um, and you're on an you're off to an adventure. What are you doing? Well, I'm returning to Sedona, Arizona, to do a lecture uh, with a, a near death experience group there because of some of my patients that have had near death experiences and pre death visions. And they're interested in that, and I'm doing a book signing, and then on to Santa Fe to be with the group there, and uh, and in November uh, to write book number two. All right. Well, tell us about book number one again and where we can find it. Transitions, a nurse's education about life and death. Uh, my website is ladyhawkpublishing.com, and uh, also my book is available on barnesandnoble.com and amazon.com. Okay, and I, you know, I'll say it again for our listeners. It is just the most awesome book that I have read in ages. It's so beautiful and is so gentle in talking about those beautiful stories of transitions. Some of them poignant, and some of them just comical. Thank you. <laughs> and and all of them just a, a good education for us as just as people to understand that transition that comes at the end of our lives and how to best honor and learn the lessons. I mean, that's what's woven through that whole book are the lessons that people gave to you and you have now shared with the world that we can all learn. 
I that that's the huge honor. I've been so blessed by this lifetime of this, and uh, I'm hoping with this book that people can hear their voices as well and uh, live their authentic lives, not be afraid to be who they are, and not be afraid when it's time to transition. Mm-hmm. Well, Becky, again, thank you so much. And now for our listeners, this is your day. How will you use it? Take some bit of information that you've heard here today, go out into the world, share your light, and make it a great day. You truly deserve it. Thanks again for joining us for What Matters. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll help you continue to make a difference next week. Thank you.